Hey, travelers. Just stopping by to let you know that this episode that you are about to listen to is one of our older ones, and we were going through some growing pains at this time. But if you would like to start from where we consider our newest era of quality, I would go ahead and jump to episode 54, The American Bigfoot. Either way, enjoy, travelers. Well, welcome back to Infinite Rabbit Hole, everybody. Today, I'm joined by Jake. Jake, how you doing, man? Doing well. Doing really, really well. You excited about today's subject? Dude, I'm so excited about today's subject. I'm more, even more excited about who we have as a guest today. Uh, today, we're joined by Phil, who is the host of the Unexplained Incorporated podcast. Phantom Phil had us on his show on January 15th. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, please check it out. We talked about some really cool things. You're able to do a nice big deep dive into the Infinite Rabbit Hole podcast and learn a lot about the upbringing of the show and how we started it. And Phil was really nice enough to be able to create a platform that we were able to come on and kind of spread out a little bit and had, had a little fun. We, we talked about multiple different topics, definitely went down the rabbit hole. And Phil was a, a wonderful host. But with all that to do aside, Phil, how you doing? Welcome to Infinite Rabbit Hole. Jeremy, Jake, I'm doing tremendous. Thank you guys for having me on so soon after uh, you came on Unexplained. It was a good time and I'm glad to be here. Absolutely. Now, for those of you that don't know anything about Phantom Phil and his podcast, Phil is the host of, like I said, the Unexplained Incorporated podcast and the owner and author of the phantomhub.com. His goals through the podcast and website is to explore all things metaphysical, spiritual, and unexplained in order to understand and obtain a higher level of consciousness and awareness throughout life. Some of my favorite episodes from the Unexplained Incorporated include his monthly case studies, where he focuses on different movies and discusses the lore and every detail imaginable about the film. Two of my personal favorite case studies that he has conducted are on the movies Krampus and Slenderman. Obviously, because I'm such a sucker for lore, monsters, and legends. The other monthly special that you can look forward to is his psychic mailbag episodes, where one of his regulars on the show, Amanda Drago, will come on and conduct psychic readings and evaluations to those that write into the podcast. They have announced a new platform for this aspect of their show in which they use Instagram Live to better conduct the readings and provide a better engagement for the fans. When you listen to his podcast, you may even recognize a familiar voice that has been on our show. CJ, from the episode titled Dogman, Gins, and UFOs featuring Cryptotechnical, has made two appearances on his show with both the Cryptotechnical podcast and his own show, the Mystery Stone podcast. We were lucky enough to be a guest on the show back on the 15th of January, and I urge everyone to head on over and give it a listen. Phil traveled with us down the rabbit hole on many different topics, and the show was a blast to be a part of. So, Phil, do you think we, uh, we built you up enough? Yeah, couldn't have said it better myself. Thank you for that. Nah, no problem. I, I hope I did you right. I had a blast reading through your, your website and everything. I got to take a look at the blogs and I, I quickly touched on your four pillars there. I just have to know, since you were such a great host to Jake and I, and you were able to let us kind of come onto your show and tell you a little bit about our origins. Can you kind of explain a little bit about yours and how did you get to this point with your show? I certainly can, Jeremy. Even though I decided on this about a year or two ago, maybe about a year and a half, this has been a lifelong journey that has led me up to this point. And uh, I'll just touch on small pieces of it. You can get a more thorough understanding if you go to thephantomhub.com 
and read my Path to Purpose blog series, which touches on my four pillars. But what I will tell you right now is that my fascination with the paranormal and unexplained phenomenon started when I was a young child, like I'm sure it did with most of us, because that is when we are at our most curious. And I have an older brother who growing up was very influential in my life. And we would do things like we would go to the library or we would buy books on these various subjects. And I remember one book sticking out in particular that was called Mysteries of the Unexplained. And on the cover, it was um, it was the earth, but it was cut up into jigsaw puzzle pieces. And some of the pieces were going out revealing like big light or whatever. And other pieces, instead of countries and continents, had various photos or drawings of unexplained phenomena on there. So this escalated through the years. Him and I both, because we are 80s children, uh, grew up watching the late, great Robert Stack on Unsolved Mysteries. He was more into the true crime cases. I was more into the unexplained cases. And fast forward about three decades, he currently has a very successful podcast on true crime called The Trail Went Cold. And years after he started his, about a good four years or so, I started mine, Unexplained Incorporated. And it's like those two aspects of the show. We took our own knowledge and our own passion of each one and have uh, built up a pretty good following. His obviously much bigger than mine because he's been at it longer and he has a little bit of a bigger team working with him. But uh, that's where the interest started. Now, just to give you a little technical background, other guests have complimented me on being a host and tying together all the subjects and the discussion points. And the reason for that is it, it doesn't happen by accident. The city I currently live in, I moved here about two decades ago from my hometown to go to college for radio and television broadcasting. So through that, I have a background in media. I only ever worked in the radio industry full time, but I also started a campus radio show on uh, hard rock and heavy metal, which is my favorite type of music. And that lasted a bit after college. And a few years after that, I would turn it into a podcast without having any idea on knowing what I was doing outside of recording and uploading. Like I would try and play full songs on there, which is a big no-no for copyright mm -hmm. reasons. And mm -hmm. uh, I had no idea how to market it or what audience I was taking it to. So eventually after a year that fizzled out. And then in another kind of a twist of fate in 2016, I quit my full-time job of ten, uh, six years and went back to school for artist management in the music industry. Now, you'll read more about this in my blog series, but that didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. However, what that course did for me was I was able to kind of catch up on technology. So technology and digital marketing and social media had long since passed me by and this course gave me a foundation of how to use it again. And it made me realize that 
content creation can not only be a good outlet for you, but it can eventually be a good side income and partner that with the success my brother has with the trail went cold. I just kind of decided one day, hmm, maybe I should get into this, but, you know, do it on things I'm more interested in and things I want to talk about. And the only other thing to add to this and tie it all up is that I started to get an affinity for videography a couple of years ago after I completed that program. And I decided that what if I use those skills to go join some ghost hunters or a paranormal group or even start a side business about it and the wheels started turning and where that ended up was I was going to eventually do some sort of a video podcast going on these hunts or these expeditions and finding like a metaphysical store as a base to broadcast from however long I was going to do it for. However, the uh, great pandemic of 2020 wiped out that entire aspect of the podcast. So I decided to stick with audio and thankfully due to uh, my working hours and the equipment I already own and some I had to buy, I realized this was a much easier endeavor than I thought it was going to be. So then I started it in March of 2020 and it's uh, just kind of taken off from there. That's awesome. I, I didn't know that part. I read a couple of your entries there in, in your blog series, but I, I didn't get the point about the, the ghost hunting. That's really cool. So do you still have plans to, to push forward with that after this whole thing is done? Eventually, even though uh, you guys are based out of the States and I'm in the province of Ontario, north of the border, we just entered a more stricter, tougher version of last spring's previous lockdown. So we're yep. very limited for the coming weeks and what we can do. But eventually, whether it's through audio or video, I absolutely want to um, expand into that field and maybe use it as um, what eventually is going to be a, a Patreon page for the show with exclusive content. Awesome. And by the way, I'd like to say thank you for being our first international guest, by the way. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I uh, didn't know I was being bestowed with that honor, but uh, that's the beauty about this uh, technology and this stuff, Jeremy, is that like... I've talked to people from the States, from England, and um, it's not 100% yet, but it's looking like I'm going to have my first ever guest from Australia, possibly in the month of February. So stay tuned for that, too. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, no, we, everyone that we've talked to so far has been from the States. You're our first international guest, which is our neighbor to the north and wild country of Canada. We haven't even been contacted or we haven't reached out to anybody yet from Europe, Asia, Australia, Africa, South America yet. Anybody listening, absolutely. If you guys have a podcast or even if you want to just come on the show, let us know because we love everybody. So reach out. Well, that's awesome. So I have a, I have a couple questions for you, if you don't mind. Yeah, sure. So you said that you were, you know, you wanted to expand into your original plan with the ghost hunting, whether it was through audio or through video, and that you said possibly have a Patreon coming up. Is there anything else that you have plans in expanding in? Um, well, the one thing we briefly mentioned off the top was doing the Instagram live feeds with Amanda Drago, because yeah. um, she reached out to me. Uh, before the holidays and decided, hey, I love the segment. I love coming on the show, but I want to tweak it a little bit. 
I want to share the gift of abbreviated psychic readings with more people in a live format to help them and to get my name out there. One other thing I'd like to expand upon is one day, like when it's doable, I would like to do some video podcasts, whether they're live or pre-recorded from a metaphysical shop and possibly have Amanda join me for that. And kind of like we said, I want to have more international guests and build up more of a community. But one other thing, because I've explored a lot in, you know, the 10, 11 months I've been doing this. So everything's open and everything's on the table. But I mean, I wouldn't mind getting into a little bit more of the conspiratorial realm, because sometimes it's related to what I do. And um, by the time this gets released, I will have had um, a very famous flat earth podcaster on my show. And, you know, I'm recording that a few days from now. And it's going to be interesting and quite likely polarizing. But I still think it fits in under the unexplained moniker and provides a whole lot more questions we can ask ourselves whether we agree with it or not. But just to finally put a bow on your question, Jeremy, the one thing I want more of for sure is I want more day-to-day people to come on the show and share their own experiences. You were kind enough to share your what you believed were Sasquatch encounters during your youth on my show. And I had an amazing Native woman from the state of Arizona come on my show uh, late last year and talk about a whole haunting and an ordeal her family went through for months in um, their Michigan home, which was actually built illegally on top of a Native burial ground. And I just, yeah, like I said, I just want more people to open up and share their own first person stories because I feel like I have the perfect form to do so. So if anybody listening does want to come onto your show, where can they reach you at? Unexplained Incorporated is on Facebook, on Twitter. My handle is at phantomphil3. Soon to come on Instagram. That's uh, coming soon. But also you can reach out on Instagram to uh, my helper, Angel Card Amy. And my own email for the show is phantomphilunexplained at gmail.com. That's a lot, but it's just one word, no dashes or hyphens. So if you want to come on the show, message at any of those outlets and we'll talk and we'll see if your story is worth uh, sharing on the podcast. That's awesome. Um, and as for the conspiracy stuff, I, I actually am pretty good friends with the Hush Hush Society Conspiracy Hour podcast. And if, if you're looking for conspiracy stuff, I can put you in touch with Mike, Dave and Frank from Hush Hush. And uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll they'll come on. They, those, those are great guys, man. They do a great job with their podcast. And it's all about conspiracy theories. Yeah, sounds good. I'll, uh, I'll have to check them out soon for sure. Absolutely. You know, that kind of brings up one of my last questions. You've talked heavily already about your partnership with Amanda Drago and Angel Card Amy. How did you find such great partners? I mean, they they have a lot invested in your show already. Yeah. And Amanda, I was going to save it, uh, but she's a big part of the story I told you just a few minutes ago. So long story short, I went to a Reiki practitioner, energy healing, for those who don't know what that is, for the first time in the fall of 2013. And 
the term life-changing experience doesn't do justice, <laughs> the type of effect it had on me. So I went and saw this person for quite a few years and then out of the blue, just stopped correspondence. And to this day, I'm not sure why. So a few months later, and I was kind of going through a rough time in my life, I just happened to find Amanda's profile and website online. And I found out she was only like a 45 minute drive down the highway from me. So I went to her for more sessions. And what's neat about her is that she is also a psychic medium. So she blends the two practices together, which I found really neat and really helpful and insightful. So I became a, a regular, fairly regular client for that sort of thing. And then down the road, we actually became good friends. And at the time I was taking a part-time videography course in her city. And I had all these ideas going through my mind. And then I went to visit her one day and I just said, Hey, I'm thinking of doing this podcast. Are you in? And then without any hesitation, she, she said, yes. And then uh, we met a couple months later and we laid down a basic foundation for what we wanted. And yeah, the rest is history with her now with angel card, Amy, it's really neat how she ties into all this because her boyfriend is nearly best friends with Amanda's husband. <laughs> okay. okay. So the four of them are very close with each other. And when Amanda started promoting the show on her social networks or in the early going, um, Amy started listening and was hooked. Okay. And just to mention about her real quick, um, Amy has some health issues that put her into the high risk category for COVID. Mm -hmm. So pretty much from the beginning of when my show launched to now, she's been off work. Like I've been working full time and raising a child on my own and doing this where she's had a lot more spare time than me. So not only was she just hooked on the show and became like my first super fan, we connected through Amanda and became friends. And then organically, she just started to take over the tasks kind of that I didn't have time to do myself. Like she is way more proficient with Instagram than I am. I'm still a bit of a dinosaur with it, but I'm trying to change that habit. And she started the show's Instagram page and maintains it and has been able to get a lot of followers. And she's also a psychic medium in training. So she's been doing free readings for people and recently just did one as far away as England. And um, the thing I love the most about doing the show, because it ties in is that I love talking to people like, you know, you and Jake are just two examples of that. I love to talk about this stuff, but I love even more, hearing other people's perspectives and interacting. And the first few case studies that you mentioned, I did them completely on my own. And I got sick of just talking on my own into a microphone really quick. And sometime last summer, it just clicked into my head that whenever I was talking to Amy and I tell her what case study was coming up next, she would have the movie watched like days before I ever had a chance to and was offering her own opinions on it. So I'm like, Hey, why don't you just come on the show and, um, you know, do the back and forth case studies with me. And it's been a lot of fun. And just one quick other 
thing about her was that um, she wanted to come on and tell her story about discovering her gift as a medium and how it's evolved, but she was really nervous about it. And I said, well, maybe um, you could come on when you're not so nervous one day. So what I did was is I had her record voiceover intros for all of my guests. And I got to say, since she started doing it for me in July, she's come a really long way. And at least with me, those nerves have pretty much gone down. So now she's a monthly contributor to the show. And through my connections and social media, she's ended up appearing on other people's podcasts as well as guests. So it's been a win-win for everybody. I When yeah. I listened to the episode last night, I got shivers listening to her intro for us. I thought it was really cool. Jake, have you had a chance to listen to that yet? I have to admit, I did not have a chance to listen to it. We got home from the store and I sat down on the couch and I put on my headphones and I completely blacked out. Like, <laughs> I think I fell asleep at like 8.30 last night and I woke up at midnight. I was like, oh, geez, on the couch and I had to go to bed. I don't know why I was so tired, but I, I knocked out pretty hard. But I will be giving it a listen today. I'm pretty excited for it. Jeremy is pretty quick to say if something sucks and it doesn't sound like that's the case. So... <laughs> No, it came out really good. She did an awesome job on that intro. That was really cool. Well, she'll be happy to hear that. And I'm very happy too, just because I know how far she's come and that it was a lot more of a rough approach and trying to get her to open up and to do it in the early going. So now, you know, that'll help her a lot. So I appreciate you saying that. I heard it and I was like, I'm ready to fight. <laughs> Let's go. Yeah. Like a boxer <laughs> intro. Yeah. It was Weighing like was... 400 pounds. And Let's start this six. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no, she did a really good job though. Again, thank you for having us on to your podcast. I can't say that enough. Thank you again. Jake, do you have any questions for Phil? I've just been listening to what you've been saying. That's a pretty incredible backstory. It's a heck of a lot more than just what Jeremy and I have. I really like what you were saying with having a background and going to college for radio. You know, we connect with these other podcasts and the way that they present themselves or the way they present their product or interview, you know, shows to what sort of level of experience they have. For us, just getting started, we're kind of in the baby steps of getting used to it and, uh, and the, the growing pains of everything. But you seem to be pretty on point right off the bat when you had us on your show. Very good questions. The way the conversation just flowed, it was very, very nice. And you were saying, well, you know, I went to college to learn how to do broadcasting and radio. It's like, oh, well, that makes sense. But it's something that, I mean, sounds like it'd be a good path for us to take as well. <laughs> Probably would benefit quite, us quite a bit. Yeah, can I just add something real quick to what Certainly. you just said there? Uh, just two things. Uh, number one, um, this is the third official podcast I have produced. The first two, I wouldn't say they were bad, but they were poorly positioned and targeted and like almost nobody heard them. <laughs> and uh, they both had to do with music. This mm -hmm. one, I had much more of a game plan and more time to prep instead of just kind of, you know, throwing darts at the map sure. or whatever. So Pre-planning is so huge. And number two, the beautiful thing about podcasting is that literally anyone can start it. How far you go and what level of success you reach largely is on yourself and the team that surrounds you. However, 
you don't have to be like me and dump thousands of dollars into college. There are so many amazing resources on the internet, some free, some paid, that can get you to help launch market and monetize your podcast. And I'm not going to go through all of those right Mm -hmm. now, but if anyone listening is curious about getting into this, just go do a deep dive and you will find where you need to go. Absolutely. We might have to talk about that a little bit later. (laughs) Most definitely. Since we're good with that, let's move on to the next act, right? Because we like to get our guests takes on various subjects and seeing how you live in Canada. We thought this was a perfect opportunity to talk about one of Canada's most famous cryptid legends, Ogopogo. When we were recording for your show, Jake had brought up how he was excited about getting into lake monsters. And you you said, don't forget about Ogopogo. And we talked after the episode and uh, I think it was a match made in heaven. What do you think? Oh, 100%. Um, One thing I want to say before we start on this is I briefly mentioned to you that I'd uh, may possibly had visited the Okanagan Valley yep. where this uh, sea monster has been sighted many a times. So I reached out and talked to my father last week because uh, I think it was two years in a row, two summers in a row, my family, we flew out to Vancouver and then we rented an RV and then just went around the Southwestern interior of British Columbia for like two weeks or whatever. And we did that two summers in a row and He told me that we had seen part of the Okanagan Valley, but we didn't, you know, follow it. And we didn't go into the town of Kelowna or the city of Kelowna, which is right on the riverbanks. But I just wanted to let you know that I have been in the general vicinity of where this monster has been seen, even though I didn't see anything myself. Ah, so no, no monster sightings for you. No, unfortunately, but uh, I have been out there and it's beautiful and some of it is very desolate. So, I mean, I'm not surprised there have been sightings. Well, that's a heck of a lot closer than we've been. So we're happy to have you here with us to break it down and talk about it. (laughs) So real quick, I just have some quick facts to spit out about Okapogo. Okapogo is said to be the lake monster of the Okanagan Lake in British Columbia and is said to have gotten its modern name from a song played in 1924 in the town of Vernon on the northern side of the lake. The famous lyrics go like this. I'm not going to sing them because I can't sing, but I'll, I'll say them. His mother was an earwig. His father was a whale. A little bit of head, hardly any tail. And Ogopogo was his name. I listened to the song. There's a lot more to it. They say Ogopogo probably 20 times. It's a neat little old-fashioned tune, you know? Uh, good old country song or country tune. Like the old country, not 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 the folk. new bro country. Yeah, folk. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. Stories of Ogopogo date back much further than its more famous cousin, the Loch Ness Monster. Stories tell of a vicious creature that is known to devour water and land creatures alike, even humans. Sharing Canadian waterways with other Canadian lake monsters, such as the Icopogo of Lake Simcoe in Ontario and Manipogo of Lake Manitoba of Manitoba. The legend of Ogopogo, or Augie, goes back to even the First Nations people, never completely fading away, even to this day. The natives had many names referring to this beast. The name used by most natives for the creature was Netaka, and had many translations such as water demon, water god, and sacred creature of the water. The native story of the beast describes the demand for the creature for a sacrifice for safe crossing of its waters. 
The natives would fulfill this need by sacrificing small creatures at the shore of the lake before venturing into or onto the water. As well, they would bring small critters along with them on the boats to throw overboard to sway the creature away from attacking their craft. Locals in the area believe that the creature's home is on an island named Rattlesnake Island. On the island, a plethora of unidentified footprints have been found, which backs up the claims that the creature has been seen on shore just as much, if not more, than it has been seen in the water. Agi is well known around the area of the Okanagan Lake. It has become part of the lore of the area and also a massive tourist attraction. A man by the name of Carl Shooker categorized Okapogo as a many-hump variant of lake monsters. Mr. Shucker went on to suggest that Okapogo may be a Basiliosaurus that has survived the extinction of its species. A Basiliosaurus is a whale-like ocean creature from the time of the dinosaurs. Fossil evidence proves that this animal once roamed the oceans of our world. Other common creatures that people believe Augie to be are a Plesiosaur, Mosasaur, and Plesiosaur. Many people believe that the ripples in the water that are the main subject in many different forms of visual evidence are actually just cases of misidentification. Common objects such as otters, schools of fish, waterfowl, logs, and other inanimate objects. So, from all of the visual evidence that you guys have seen before, what do you think? Are we looking at a creature or are we looking at a log? I want to hear Jake's answer first before I go because I got a few things to say. Man, Jeremy was just taking all my ammo from me because I was looking up the sightings of this and I'm pretty shocked. There is a lot more sightings than many of the cryptids that we've looked into and not just like one or two people. I'm talking like busloads of people seeing it at the same time. I was looking at some of the pictures online and they're pretty dang remarkable. It's crazy. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, I was really interested to see it i wrote down a list of all the dates that it had been seen and this isn't by like i said one or two people this is thousands of people since about 1873 i'm talking mm-hmm. 1926 1947 59 64 76 78 79 81 84 86 89 1990 six times in 2000 2001 02 four times 2003, 04, 06, 2014. There was even pictures taken of it with its head sticking up out of the water on May 24th, 2015. And then again in 2016, 2017. Very, very rarely was it just one person that saw it. It was always a family, a group of families, 30 cars full of people at once, all pretty much describing it the same. It's a snake-like sort of thing. It's got three to five humps sticking up out of the water, a blunt head or a a horse-like head with a blunt nose between 15 and 50 feet long, sometimes flippers, sometimes no flippers. And it's just, it's, it's pretty remarkable that there's that many sightings. There's a pretty good amount of pictures, though most of the pictures are if there's a really big wake, they say that there's a, a monster under there, but I've even seen pictures that have like a good decent sized flippered shadow underneath the water which people are quick to say oh that's the wake of a boat but it does it looks nothing like the wake of a boat plus there's no major disturbance of the water on top of it and some of these pictures are so old too that they can't be doctored right it seems like it'd be very difficult to doctor them 
And I kind of want to throw out a couple of the really cool sightings that threw me for a loop. So apparently in 1914, there was a body that may have been washed up and it was discovered from the Nicola Indians that were in that area. This body was blue gray. It had flippers, a long neck and tail and weighed about 400 pounds. And people in the area seemed to have believed it was a manatee, but mm. in a remote lake in Canada. Sounds more like a plesiosaur. Right, right. A manatee. I, I don't know about that. <laughs> and, you know, let's see, in 1926, like I said, there was 30 carloads of people that saw it at the same time. And it was reported by Roy, Roy W. Brown, who is an editor for the Vancouver Sun. In 1959, two couples saw it behind their motorboat and said that it was in view for about three minutes before it swam away. And then the pictures that came from May 24th, 2015, uh, basically its head had come up out of the water and there was a man named Bill S. I can't pronounce his last name, but it's S-T-E-C-U-I-K. But he captured these four really good pictures of what looked to be its head sticking up out of the water. And he said right after he took those pictures, it kind of came up a little bit and he could see more of its neck and then it submerged back into the water. And these aren't the only really good descriptive sightings. There's hundreds of sightings that are a paragraph in length of this is what we were doing. We pulled out the camera. We took pictures. This is what it looked like. And everyone seems to be kind of saying we saw the same sort of thing. And the only thing I have that gives me some sort of an issue is that I have no reason to believe that some water dinosaurs, much like Nessie, uh, survived the extinction that seems to have taken all of them. You know, our oceans are so, our oceans, our lakes, our rivers are so unexplored. We spend much less time, it seems, looking into the own bodies of water that we have on this planet than we do say looking into space at all the vast stars so who really knows what's you know below the surface of the water the only thing i have some issue with is that if this is some kind of a uh displaced or trapped marine reptile like a old like a plesiosaur a basilosaur things like that then i don't know if it would be very good in a good spot to survive being how cold it is in Canada. It's would be a cold blooded reptile and they generally go for tropical waters, not somewhere where it gets really, really cold snows a lot, but that's not to say that if it wasn't trapped there, it couldn't have say had some form of micro evolution to adapt to that area or adaptation to kind of just deal with the temperatures. But yeah, the, vast amount of sightings over a tremendous amount of time lets me know that if this is a real creature, there's got to be a heck of a lot more than just one of them, especially if there's variations, the same sort of general shape and size, but variations like, oh, this one was 50 feet long. No, this one was 15 feet long. Well, that sounds like a, an adult and a juvenile to me, like a population. I want to believe is what I'm saying. <laughs> But Phil, just what, like do you, what do you got in the, for the, you know, all the, the legends and stuff in your area? Just like the saying of Unexplained Incorporated, open for business and ready to believe you. So yeah, I <laughs> count me in with you for wanting to believe. I want to backtrack for just a minute here. Jeremy, when you were reading off some of your notes there, did you say there's a sea monster in Lake Simcoe in Ontario? Yes. 
oh wow i never knew this see and this is why i'm saying we have to do a full episode on sea monsters and stuff because there's a heck of a lot more than just messy <laughs> yeah I mean, shoot there's one in san francisco yeah. apparently there's a basilosaur out there Yes, that's another one that I, okay. that I came across while doing this too. Lake Simcoe in Ontario is, so it's basically the same thing as Agapogo, but it's Agapogo. It's literally just changing the O with the I. Oh, wow. At the beginning. Yep. Oh, wow. That's really cool. The reason I ask is my mother grew up in a town not too far from there and I'd never heard anything about it. So it really caught me off guard. Pretty cool. So my Ogopogo research, okay, brought me back to i don't know if you guys remember this or not but they aired a feature on it in season two of unsolved mysteries okay no i did not yeah so i want to say it was probably 88 89 so like i found out about it like maybe like a year before we actually traveled to bc and i remember my brother telling me because i'd been kind of fascinated with the loch ness monster and all that and then when he told me and we watched this episode and we found out that one of these was in our country and it was going to be in a part of the country you were going to be visiting, I like totally freaked out. I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, I can't believe we have one of these, you know, little known fact about Ogopogo is that there's more visual evidence and more officially documented sightings of Ogopogo than there is of the Loch Ness monster. And it was seven years before the Loch Ness Monster. Yeah, I believe that for sure. You know, when you say lake monsters, a lot of people go straight to the Loch Ness Monster. But there's a more famous, I wouldn't say famous because obviously everyone knows the Loch Ness Monster. But there is definitely a much better documented version right in your own country, right there in Canada. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought that up, Jeremy, because I'm going to be talking about this um, from some of the findings I've had. So... The biggest part of the Unsolved Mystery story, like it goes over some of the folklore like you did. And, you know, they interview uh, residents of the city of Kelowna that are all ages from seniors to children who said that they've had sightings. And a couple of the common things are they think it's a snake-like creature and that it's 20 to 50 feet long. That's usually Mm -hmm. the number, sometimes lower, sometimes higher. And it was also said that the Okanagan river that runs through the Valley can in some places go far down as 800 feet deep. So if, if something is hiding down there and it's undetected, I would not be surprised. But uh, the main part of the unsolved mystery story I want to bring up is that um, they go over some people who photographed and videoed like with very primitive video technology, (laughs) but the most famous one, is a video by a guy by the name of Ken Chaplin. Ken Chaplin may be the first person to video Ogopogo and have it turn into, have it blow up into a media sensation. And in fact, his sighting uh, allegedly got featured in Time Magazine. Like that's how far it went. Oh, geez. So he's probably the guy who put this, monster on the map internationally and how the media treated it so they go over his video on the program and i can't remember the titles or the names of the people interviewed but um now i just gotta say something real quick on a side note i love the skeptics i really do i think they're really important and they keep Mm -hmm. us grounded however at times they also suffer i think from a horrible confirmation bias 
And because they either don't want to believe or they really can't explain something, they'll sometimes come up with their own explanations that make less sense than saying this. Right. <laughs> you know, There's this, a dinosaur out there. This is unexplainable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what they do on this uh, feature is that there's a gentleman who holds up a photo, a still photo from Ken Chaplin's video to the photo of a beaver. So Hmm. what Chaplin got on video, it was a creature basically doing like this cool kind of wavy thing. And then it dives down and its tail just flaps up really quick Mm -hmm. and goes back down. And they seem to be convinced that it's like a baby version of what Ogopogo actually is, because obviously it's like the size of a small beaver. It's not a full sized mm-hmm. lake monster like that has been described, but it's miniature. And, you know, the guy holding up doing the photo comparison, who I would consider to be a skeptic, he just writes it off as being a beaver <laughs> because there's a photo of when beavers are in the water they have their head kind of sticking up halfway mm-hmm. and their tails are straight up. But the way this thing goes and dives into the water, it contorts its body almost in a serpent-like fashion, which does not happen with beavers. And the tail, instead of it being a solid tail, looks like it's almost like two-pronged or forked, so mm-hmm. to speak. And they even see in the episode, they're like, the guy offers his explanation and they said, well, upon further examination... The photo on the left, which was from Ken Chaplin's video, uh, is clearly not moving in the water the way a beaver would or swimming like a beaver. So like, right. what, what are your thoughts on that? You know, that's one of the sightings they had been talking about having a forked tail, but it was the one of the only examples of that. And so I left it out of my initial, you know, giving all giving my spiel. But I mean... Mm-hmm. It's remarkable that you bring that up. So basically, unlike a beaver, which they kind of, and I don't know if I've, I've seen beavers swim. I don't know if you can say that all beavers swim like this, but kind of just right. their body sticking up out of the water and they're just making a wake behind them and they're just cruising right along. They're not, as you said, swimming in what a way that sounds like a dolphin going up and down and up and mm-hmm. down because yeah. even even snakes. And that's what's on the video. Yeah. Because, I mean, even snakes, snakes don't do this. Snakes swim with their bodies pretty much on the surface of the water, and they go side to side, right? So, it's a very reptilian thing. Right. So if this is mm. an entirely different animal, and it's swimming differently than a beaver swims, it swims differently than a, even a big snake would swim, that's uh, pretty incredible. <laughs> well, I've got two things here. One, Phil, I was able to find that, that Time Magazine article. It is actually dated... Monday, okay. August 4th, 1930. Nice. Yeah, it's right there on, on Time's website. It's pretty cool. I'm, I, I have it pulled up so that I can read it afterwards because I'm very interested now. I want to see what the story was back in 1930. That's really cool uh, because it was in 1927 that the really big incident happened when the, the 30 carloads of people saw this thing. Mm-hmm. So this is pretty fresh from that incident and i'm very interested in that uh maybe i'll be able to pop a link to this in the description for this episode so that people can check it out too but also jake um while while you were talking i was doing a little bit of research 
uh, into things such as the plesiosaur, the mosasaur, um, and a couple other water creatures from back, you know, way, way back in sure, history. Sure. Um, and actually, they were closer related to whales. They were not reptiles. They, they were mammals, in fact. So if you if oh, you look at the way that so they a, could absolutely live in a cold climate. That and if you look at the way that it would swim to answer Phil's question, it would swim. <laughs> yeah. It would swim like this. Nice. It wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have the side to side like a snake or a crocodile or an alligator. Mm-hmm. You know, it would swim in a serpentine kind of motion. You you take the the story about the guy finding a, a small body of something with a long neck and some flippers on the shore, which I also saw too. Uh, that was a very interesting story. And you take the fact that someone has some video evidence of this thing swimming in a mammal-like water creature fashion, mm-hmm. you know, you could definitely be looking at it a, a mammal that's landlocked because I, I also did some research into how this lake was created. This lake was created by glaciers and there's a lot of, it's what's called a fjord. And basically for the most part, it's landlocked at the Southern tip of Lake Okanagan is the Okanagan River. And then it goes into the, the I'm going to probably butcher this word, the Penticton ch- Channel, uh, which is a couple miles Penticton. long. Yep. Pen- Penticton, thank you. Channel. Thank that, goodness for the local. <laughs> yep. Yep. Uh, which is very, very <laughs> narrow. So, and and not too deep. It's, it's only there so that boats can go through. People actually use it for, for tubing. Now it's it's mostly used for entertainment purposes, uh, and then straight from there it goes straight into the Columbia River, which then dumps off eventually into the Pacific Ocean. But as as the way it's set up right now, there is no possible way for a mammal to go from the ocean to Lake Okanagan. But I was looking at some maps to how they theorized this lake would have been or the the water features would have been in that area mm-hmm. along the fjord that was created by the glacier. And that whole area was underwater at, at one point and very well could there could have been some sort of mammal, marine mammal that was eventually stuck there. I, I think that there's a lot of evidence that proves that there could be something there. I'm not one to necessarily believe too much in uh, lake monsters. I, th- I think that it is possible, but to, in order to have a steady population of something, you need to be able to feed it. It needs to be able to reproduce uh, with different bloodlines before you get a pro- you know problems with interbreeding. Now you take that all the sightings for this thing, there's tons of them, and you take the good physical evidence that there is from like flipper marks on land and, you know, strange footprints on land, uh, even tail drag marks on land uh, <laughs> around Snake Island and the caves that are supposedly underneath it too. There is a good possibility that this could be something and uh, the cave system that's underneath these mountains that create this fjord that is the Okanagan Valley definitely could house more waterways who knows there could be waterways that reach out into other lakes there are a few lakes speckled in there none of them connected to the ocean in any way but who knows there there could be something hmm. i just want to say that article you found on time magazine i think with ken chaplin i think he may have been the first to clearly get ogopogo on video because him and his daughter get interviewed on unsolved mysteries Mm-hmm. So it happened either sometime in the 70s or the 80s. The one, you, the article you brought up may be 
the first time it ever got brought up to media of any kind, or at least on that level. That's what I'm willing to guess anyway. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Because say, but either way, uh, Chaplin's video caused quite quite a stir when it came out. So it <laughs> put the spotlight on uh, the valley for quite some time. Here's one more interesting fact I took from the Unsolved Mysteries episode, then uh, I'll move into a couple of other points. So they do up this old school map of the world. And when they're doing the intro in the Ogopogo episode, they talk about Loch Ness Monster, obviously. Mm -hmm. And then they talk about other famous sea monsters from around the globe. And then they put dots on the points of the world that they're in. So they mention Loch Ness and then they go to Sweden, the east end of Russia and Japan. And what's really fascinating is that all of those sea monster sightings are on the same latitude band. And if you look closely on the map, even though they don't bring it up, the Okanagan is in that latitude band as well, which I found very interesting. You know, I didn't find that during this particular or for the research for this particular topic, but in the book that I referenced to you the other day, Mysterious America by Lauren Coleman, he does mention that mm. in that book. And that is a extremely strange coincidence. And it, it, it is, it's the latitude line. There's a, uh, a give like a plus or minus a certain amount. And also Champ from Lake Champlain also falls into that little stripe too. That's that's also very interesting. So that's the preferred climate then. That is must be the preferred climate for this particular creature. I think climate is part of it, but you know, this is me exploring the stuff that I do. I wonder if there's energetic ley lines we may be not aware of, and they're also attracted to that frequency of the earth. Possibly. I mean, it's a little out there, but who knows? It's it's worth entertaining. So like in the same way that when birds uh, migrate from one point to another, they follow the Earth's magnetic, was it the magnetic lines that are in it? And that's how they kind of get from point A to point B. Same sort of yeah. thing. They're kind of attracted to that area. Yeah, for similar that reason. to that. Similar to that. Yeah. The flux lines. Yeah. Similar to that. Yeah. Like I can't elaborate on that any further, but I'm no expert, but I mean, you're right. It's probably not a coincidence that they're all roughly on the same latitude ban around the world like there's got to be something to that we we just don't understand there is a lake monster in australia and i wonder if yeah. if it is close to that on the you know in the southern hemisphere i'm gonna have to look at that in the other hemisphere yeah that's possible yeah and then i'm curious if there's more in africa and south america too that would be really yeah. creepy yeah for sure well, if that's the case, then uh, the basilosaur that's in San Francisco would be outside that band. But that's not to say yes. that there couldn't be some stragglers. If most of the population was in this one right. area, eventually there'd be, I mean, maybe not now because of a mass extinction level event, but eventually back when they were more plentiful, there would have been an issue with uh, food resources and stuff and causing some of them to kind of spread out a little bit. And maybe they just kind of hung out in those areas. Well, the San Francisco Bay is very open and it opens up into the Pacific Ocean very right. easily. So, you know, that could be just a creature that comes in and out. That We could be talking about a completely different critter, too. We'll wait to talk about that a little bit more until we bring that up in another episode. Because Blow the lid off of all of this. <laughs> and then I'm, I'm going to start talking about that one. <laughs> but I'm, I'm very curious as to how they know it's a Bastliosaur 
compared to you know another whale species that's because it looks like one (laughs) so so there's a lot of other whale species i have an important point i want to bring up i there's probably some people out there who are going well why don't we just hunt down this thing and kill it and then you know examine it and do an autopsy well after the ken chaplin video you know went in that decades version of viral Mm -hmm. um the Canadian government stepped in and said that uh, they declared Ogopogo, whatever it may be, to be an endangered species, and it is illegal to hunt or capture. Then we'll never know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you find anything, Jeremy? Or I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I do. I have this nasty habit of doing the research <laughs> while I'm doing it too. I, you know, you bring up some very fascinating stuff, and now my mind is only stuck to trying to see if there's other creatures on the southern yeah. hemisphere that are also in the same latitude. Well, it's worth looking at. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have to. But there, there is one other thing that I wanted to bring up regarding Ogopogo from from me because I'm I'm nearing the end of my research here before we start getting into the fields yep. and everything. There is a woman by the name of Arlene Gal or Gall. She is a native there uh, by uh, Lake Okanagan, mm-hmm. and she has published three separate books on Ogopogo. She is one of the leading researchers or holds one of the leading databases on sightings for Ogopogo. And ever since she was a little girl or when she started uh, actually conducting this research for years, I don't know the exact year, but she is elderly woman now uh, or an older woman. She says that every single year since she's been doing it on average between three and five sightings every single year. And there are a couple outlier years where there's much more in in the sightings for this creature uh but never below three always at least three or more sightings have been reported directly to her about this this creature the person that's kind of put in charge of doing all of this research and everything comes up with at least three every single year i mean that that seems to be pretty legitimate especially when you're talking about a creature that is only found in one geographical area of the world you know there's only one ogopogo as far as we know are uh, a group of them in one area in, in the Okanagan Lake. And to see that there's at least three sightings reported every single year, and most of them come with photographic evidence, it's really, really intriguing what's going on up there. Doing some of my research for this, I just decided to go onto YouTube. Well, one, that's where I watched the Unsolved Mystery Story. But two, I decided to see if there were videos of people like homemade videos of people posting sightings and there's a lot and a lot of them are quite recent. And um, one of the more intriguing ones I saw was uh, from May of 2019. And between watching these and the Ken Chaplin video, I tend to believe there may have been more than one or a small family of these species because the one on the Chaplin video was very small about the size of an otter or a beaver But if you look at some of these sightings within the last couple of years that people have posted on YouTube from their home, you know, recording devices or their phones, and they don't look like they're staged in any way because they're all shot from a distance Mm -hmm. and the people shooting them seem genuinely shocked. But those videos seem to show longer forms of ripples in the water that go to that 20 foot to 50 foot range. And I had to snicker earlier when 
you brought up that one of the plausible explanations were logs because like I've toured mm -hmm. a couple of the sawmills on the BC coast and I know, and this is the same in Vancouver, the big logs part of the mills or the logging facilities, they all gravitate towards shore. They're not just out in the middle of the lake spinning around and causing ripples in the water mm -hmm. randomly. You know what I mean? Like that's right, why right. I think that explanation's it's not a log with a jet ski engine on it. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, just, sure. I highly recommend you guys or anyone else listening to go onto YouTube and look at some of these amateur videos of Ogopogo sightings. It's really fascinating and they're very recent. So like, it's not like the activity is ta tailored off in any way. I saw some of them. One of them looked like a log, except it was in four different parts and it was kind of cruising along it had like snow mm -hmm. on top of it or something a couple of those videos are very very cool looking and it's like people are like yeah it's just uh branches and you're like yeah <laughs> yeah branches <laughs> sure <laughs> you ever see branches move like that before yeah, I right. haven't. <laughs> so does anybody else have anything to add here you know the only thing i had against this thing being a real creature and not just a cryptid or a legend or a myth was the idea that it was reptilian if you if it's true that the basilosaur and the plesiosaur were more like whales you know i don't believe that they're the ancient relatives of whales but just a different type of whale or the same sort of you know marine mammal group then i wonder if they would have given birth like whales whales typically have one live birth within one to six years right? They carry that baby for some amount of time, nine to 18 months or so. A very small population of them inside of a cold climate area, which, you know, whales go all the way up to the Arctic Circle, no big deal, because they have that blubber layer on them. So the cold would be no issue. Maybe food would be an issue, but it could reason why some of them are or more of the sightings are in a smaller range as far as the size of it goes. You know, I saw a couple that were the size was 50 feet. Most of them were between 15 and 30 feet. So not too terribly large as far as the scale that they could get to. But that was like the only thing that was holding me back was like, yeah, what, like a crocodile type animal up there and, you know, north or up there in Canada. That doesn't make any sense. Well, if it's a whale, then yeah, sure. <laughs> I believe. I just have one more thing I want to add. And then I have a question for both of you guys, mm -hmm. which I hope awesome. you can answer. And then, um, think we've think we've almost wrapped up on this um so one of the popular skeptic beliefs about the Loch Ness monster is that it's nothing but a tourist trap and mm. I've never had the pleasure of visiting Loch Ness or even making it up to Scotland for that matter but from what I've seen and heard it's like the weather up there is pretty miserable mm -hmm. um there's a it's a small town there's not a lot going on unless you're into wilderness and hiking in the right. fog and stuff like that. So there's a discussion to be had to say that, hey, maybe the town created the myth of this to draw more tourists in an area that wouldn't normally get tourists. But here's the thing about Kelowna and the Okanagan Valley I want to bring up. I've lived in Ontario my whole life, visited BC three times, and there's a lot of people in their 20s and 30s that love to pick up from Ontario and move to BC because it's mm -hmm. like a whole other world with the mountains and the rivers, the skiing and all that stuff. A former boss of mine who 
I worked for him at a summer at our college radio station. He took a job in Kelowna. Now it was a high management position with uh, a major media company, but he basically took the job out there because he's a major boating enthusiast and he couldn't wait to get on the waters mm-hmm. of the Okanagan Valley. And to my knowledge, he hasn't had any sightings or anything. But the point I'm trying to make is this. If you go onto the city of Kelowna's tourism page, there's a whole feature on Ogopogo and its history. Mm-hmm. And they have the statue in a park near the bay of what they think the monster looks like. And I sent these images to Jeremy in preparation for this. Um, there's a junior hockey team called the Kelowna Rockets. They used to be the Tacoma Rockets and they moved from Tacoma, Washington to Kelowna back in like the mid nineties. But in the year 2000, they decided to change their Jersey logo to Ogopogo. Mm -hmm. And they've had it on their uniforms ever since. The players in the intros, they skate out of Ogopogo's head to -hmm. skate out onto the ice. And in some strange twist of fate, I don't understand their mascot is a raccoon, but that's <laughs> another explanation for another day. Uh, You'll see it in the one picture I sent you, Jeremy. Like it makes no sense to me, but anyway. It's an unexplained world. <laughs> completely, right? The point I'm making is this, is that the town of Kelowna and that valley has made Ogopogo and its legend a major part of its uh, culture and its fabric it's folklore however i don't feel the town and a couple of people i've known who live there that they're making this whole thing up to draw in tourists mm-hmm. like the argument is out there that loch ness and the loch ness monster are just a fable and a tourist trap so i just i wanted to bring up the point saying even though it's a major part of their local culture i don't think it's you know the chamber of commerce pulling a scam on everyone well, I will continue with my uh, itinerary to fly out to the lake then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just before you go, Jeremy, since you guys are both associated with the Navy, from what I know, mm-hmm. is there or could there be some type of search and rescue or sonar activity that could take us to the deepest parts of the Okanagan River and get us some evidence? I don't know. Um, yes. Okay. But also, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be the Navy. I know that there was a research group that blasted Loch Ness with sonar. They had a whole bunch of fishing boats and basically mm-hmm. used the fish finding sonar. And they went just in a big line across the, uh, you know, all the, the whole length of Loch Ness, just getting a whole map of the bottom of the uh, Loch to see what was in there and if there was any large uh, floating, you know, masses, whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it can be done. Maybe not at that depth. It might have to be some sort mm. of submersible, submersible submarine to get up in there to do like a, a deep dive into the really, really low areas or the lowest points of the, of the lake. But it certainly is a thing. But even when that sort of stuff happens, most of the time what people will say is like, oh, well, did you check all of it? Could it have gone to one side and circled back? Like even if 
a group gets the big best evidence for there is nothing in here besides small fish or, you know, logs, or even if there was something, but it's not what people wanted it to be like in Loch Ness, the same group then ended up taking a, a DNA sample from the lake in different areas. They pulled up big water samples and they tested it to find out what kind of DNA was inside the lake. And they found like 500,000 different species. And one of the species they found was large freshwater eels. And they're thinking that maybe the sightings of Loch Ness could be these eels group in groups clumped together the way eels sometimes do or individually, depending on how big they are. But even people seeing that those two sides of the research are saying, well, you know, it could have doubled back on itself and gone the other way when you guys were over here. And so it is possible, but even if they came through and said, well, you know, we did the entire lake, there's nothing here. Uh, the legends would still be alive anyway. People might not even believe that. They might say that it's a government cover-up because <laughs> people like to do that. Or to get really weird on you, and then this is pretty much all I have to offer up, maybe it's traveling between alternate dimensions. Maybe. There's some, there's going to be somebody listening to this podcast and being like, what about ultimate dimensions? And that's a that's a very good point to bring up. Just we We have touched on that, and we're very clear in our position on alternate or multiple dimensions jake not so much myself well i mean you do you just don't believe it in the same sense as we yeah. do yeah I, I would say that would be very very woo woo uh but definitely a good point to bring up the first thing i thought of the very first thing was i think it was the star trek movie where they take the whales and take them to space <laughs> like to save them i just yeah. i was like oh my gosh i haven't thought about that movie in so long i need to watch it now <laughs> yeah since Phil, you are our guest, is Ogopogo real or not? I'm going to say yes. Okay. Jake? Yes. <laughs> I'm going to say, I don't know. But of course I have an explanation. So I, I like to look at these and be like, what animals do we know in zoology now that it could, it could possibly be, right? Could it be a creature that lives on land and then goes into the water at some time? That's something that if there is a creature living in, in Lake Okapogo, I would think, or I'm sorry, not Lake Okapogo, but if Okapogo does exist, uh, to me, it would have to be a creature that lives on land and comes into the water uh, and just happens to be spotted in the water. Uh, there are vast forests surrounding the Okanagan water, both the lake and the river. Uh, in the entire basin there. So there there could be an animal up there that's being spotted just going for a swim every once in a while. But if this is something that we do know that is known by science, uh, what do you guys think about an eel? Yeah, I mean, that would fit the research done for Loch Ness, that if it was the same thing, if it was just a big old freshwater eel. Now, I, I did do some research into freshwater eels or even saltwater eels, uh, because again, if this thing was trapped and it just had learned to adapt to fresh water as the salinity slowly disappeared, um, also, I don't know what the salinity of, of this lake is. It could have a high salinity compared to, to most freshwater, uh, although it is mostly glacier water, so it's probably not. I, I was unable to come up with anything large enough to be compared to the sightings of Okapogo. Multiple. Multiple sightings. No, I mean yeah. like, a, like a group of them. It could be a group. Eels sometimes kind of school in the same way fish do. If there was a group of them, it could be viewed as one object or one animal. 
Maybe, but I'm as Phil had said that yeah, you know, you got to see some of these amateur videos. I did, I did watch a few of them, and it's it's not a school of fish, man. It's not a school. No, of it's eels. not. This is it's this a, is one solid thing. thing. <laughs> I'm gonna say that there's there's something there. I, I haven't made up my mind yet whether or not this is a cryptid or misidentification. That's the thing. People are seeing something. Is it a cryptid? Is it something that's not yet identified by science? I don't know. It could be. But I think that my opinion of the, of Ogopogo sits right dead center of being encrypted and being just misidentification. And I think if it is misidentification, it is either a large eel, which could technically be encrypted, or something that lives on land and you're seeing it in the water, such as a lot of mammals will go into the water and swim, uh, moose swim, bears swim. I'm not saying that it's a moose or a bear, uh, but just talking about that in general uh that it could be an animal from the land that is being misidentified as a as an animal from the water so yes there's something i i can't say that it's a cryptid though jeremy's just scared to admit that he thinks it's a log <laughs> no i'm i'm usually pretty open about this stuff this is a very intriguing uh, i don't want to offend phil <laughs> <laughs> no i'm not phil no, I, it's a I, very fair assessment i i think there's something there I just don't know if it's a cryptid. I will say that most of the late creature stuff that I have researched is complete bullshit in my mind. Ogopogo mm. and a small handful of other ones, I think, have some legitimacy to it. And it could abs- absolutely be something very strange going on. Hmm. Well, that's fair. Phil, one more time for everybody. Where can everybody listen to your podcast? Where can they visit your website? And how can they get in touch with you? For starters, um, I am on the Buzzsprout, excuse me, podcasting network. And like I alluded to earlier, it is a great place to start and launch a podcast and get all sorts of tips and info on there. And through there, I got onto various platforms that include iTunes, Spotify, now on Amazon and iHeartRadio, I believe, and Google Play and Stitcher and a few others. Those are the main ones. You could also listen to the feed. I have a link to it on my website, thephantomhub.com, which also includes various blogs I have done and uh, Motivational Metal, which gives some links to some motivational songs for me and plus the backstories behind them and the affiliate links with people who have helped out for either the blogs or the show as well. And... You could reach me at any of these areas or Angel Card Amy. She does a lot of correspondence on my behalf as well on uh, Unexplained Incorporated on Instagram. On Twitter, my handle is at PhantomPhil3. Facebook as well, Unexplained Incorporated. DM us or give us a like, whatever you want to do. Or you can uh, write to the show, PhantomPhilUnexplained at gmail.com. And uh, new episodes posted every Friday night at eight o'clock as it is your Friday night fright. I haven't missed a single one yet. I've had a couple of close calls, but uh, (laughs) always new content coming out every week. Awesome. Great stuff too, by the way. Jake, you have anything, any closing remarks? Phil, thank you so much for joining us here. We hope we were happy to accommodate you and, uh, and really throw you out there for all of our fans 
we really appreciated you having us on the other day to, and the way you hosted us and you were so accommodating towards us. So we really wanted to extend that to you coming on our show. But yeah, this was a really cool opportunity to kind of break down one of your cryptids in your own area. Hopefully we'll have more of this mm -hmm. coming up with other people as well. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, and I just want to say a thank you right back at you guys. It's been fun, and it was really cool for once being on the other side of uh, the microphone and not having to worry about recording and editing. That's always that's always a bonus. <laughs> Most well, definitely. Awesome. Well, this has been another episode of Infinite Rabbit Hole. Let us know what you think about Ogopogo in our comment section on our Facebook page. Until next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode. If you'd like to comment on this episode, you can do so on facebook.com forward slash infinite rabbit hole. If you have a story to share with us or would like to be interviewed, you can contact us at infinite rabbit hole at gmail.com. Thank you again and have a great day.